0: Made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage a better place for autistic. An aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant.
1: And thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Orion Kelly, and I'm autistic. My purpose is to inspire, inform, and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community.
0: Open, open.
1: Open, honest, and
0: engaging conversations on autism. A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. To learn more, catch up on the episodes or send us a message. Like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au.
1: Now on this episode, we explore the topic of sleep and autism and unpack the connection between autistic people and poor sleep. My guest is Amanda Richdale. Amanda is a professor... A legend, in my opinion, and founding member at the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre at La Trobe University. And Amanda is the project leader of the longitudinal study of Australian school leavers with autism. Amanda, thank you for joining me.
2: Thank you, Orion. It's a pleasure to be
1: here. I can't wait to talk to you about this. This is something near and dear to my heart as an autistic person with an autistic child. Sleep, it's killing me. Anyway, let's start at the start, though, because I'm just so impressed by this incredible body of work that you have in the autism research field. Let's talk about sleep, because from my point of view, okay, so there's no scientific evidence-based, you know, journal article, peer-reviewed thing coming from my point of view. I can just tell you, that me as an autistic uh, father and my seven-year-old autistic son have horrible times getting to sleep, horrible times having good quality sleep and always struggle to wake up rested. I feel really tired. It's almost dragging you, kicking and screaming into the real world in the morning. But apart from my own personal experiences because i just assume well what am i missing is there something i'm missing what can you tell us i'd love your insights and your findings into this kind of connection between poor sleep and autistic people it's i find it fascinating
2: well some parents would tell you that their autistic child had had poor sleep since they were infant and basically all of their, their lives sort or of through their childhood and adolescence other children develop poor sleep and and it gets a bit better some autistic people don't seem to have poor sleep, but they're in the minority. There was an interesting study done in England where they looked at reports of sleep problems from about six months of age through to age 11. And they knew whether these children from the infancy went on to have a diagnosis of autism. And they found that autistic children's sleep started to look be reported by parents to look different from non-autistic children's sleep from about somewhere between 18 and 30 months of age. And that that. kind of continued through to age 11. So the most common problem that autistic people report is trouble getting to sleep. Adults report unrefreshing sleep. People wake up quite a lot at night and they seem to sleep less than other people. Again, not every autistic person, but the most common and consistent thing if an autistic person has a sleep problem that they seem to share is having trouble getting to sleep. So taking a long time to fall asleep. One of the problems is that Most of the work we do is cross-sectional, so we're only looking at asking people about their sleep at one time or taking sleep measurements at one time. But you've probably heard of the autism CRC and your audience has. And um, we've got um, one of the longitudinal studies of 15 to 25 year olds. And so we've looked at those people when they came into the study and two years later. And of the young people who stayed in the study for two years and the ones who had a sleep problem when they came in, 87.5% of them still had poor sleep quality two years later and parents tend to report that sleep problems last for a long time with their children if you ask them how long they've had the problem they tend to say that they've had it for a long time we've also looked at it across the lifespan we've been able to do that in the autism crc data and some people in the netherlands have as well and we find that we don't have very good data for old age and the small amount of data we've got suggests that there isn't a problem but that just could be because we've only got very small amount of data But up until at least about age 60, 65, autistic people tend to report poorer sleep on average than non-autistic people do, and particularly having trouble getting to sleep. The only time non-autistic people sleep seems to be as bad as autistic people sleep, so sleep in the general population, is in older adolescents and young adults. And older adolescents and young adults, regardless of whether they're autistic or not, seem to have bad sleep. But the reasons might be different because we older adolescents and young adults are going out a lot, staying up at night, socialising and various other things like that, that will affect their sleep. Whereas we're not sure that they're necessarily the same problems, things that are happening for autistic people. The other group of people that tend to have bad sleep problems or or more frequent sleep problems are people who have ADHD, but then a lot of autistic people also have co-occurring ADHD. So they often, the two things often go together. So, these problems are problems falling asleep, night waking, which is common in a lot of neurodevelopmental um, conditions, and short night sleep, shortened night sleep, and what we call poor sleep efficiency. So, that's how long you spend asleep of the time you spend in bed. So, good sleep efficiency is spending about 85% of the time or more that you're in bed actually sleeping. And so autistic people are less likely to hit that 85% mark. So what, why, why do we have poor sleep in autistic people and why is it so common? If you think about small children, and some of it could be to do with not picking up social cues about bedtime, infants and young children have to pick up the social cues around them about routines and what's happening in their house and, and so on. So it, it could be to do with social cues help us to synchronise what's called our circadian rhythms, including in our sleep-wake rhythms, a circadian rhythm or a 24-hour rhythm. So it could, it could be that. Anxiety is a, is a big problem, and particularly arousal. So we think, maybe the autistic people are more easily aroused and that goes with being more anxious as well, so arousal. So sensory sensitivities are associated with poor sleep in autistic people, for example, and what we call somatic and cognitive arousal, so how thoughts going around and around our head, butterflies in our tummy, heart racing, those sorts of things seem to be associated with sleep problems in autistic people. There is some suggestion that there are circadian rhythm differences in autistic people so there's been some studies done on the genes that control circadian rhythms and some differences have been found there could be some genetic contributions from the circadian system and the genes that control the circadian system for autistic people which makes some of them more susceptible to to having poor sleep but it's likely that it's for some people it might just be one thing like anxiety and arousal for other people it might be a combination of things if we sort of think about sleep those sleep problems that i said that autistic people report they're typically symptoms of insomnia or they also tend to go with having what we call a delayed sleep-wake rhythm so delayed sleep-wake phase disorder it's technically called which is where we have a natural tendency to go to sleep late and want to wake up late in terms of when we want to go to sleep you might recognize this in yourself or members of your family some people are morning people they like to go to bed reasonably early in the evening and they wake up bright and early and and get going, and we often refer to them as larks. Most people are somewhere in between, and some people are what are often referred to as owls. They like to go to bed after midnight and to sleep later, which isn't very good because society isn't really set up around owls because society expects us to be at work and be at school by certain times. There is suggestion from work that we've done and work that other people have done that more autistic people tend to be owls than in the non-autistic population. So there seem to be more, greater tendency to have owls in the autistic population, which means that autistic people's sleep pattern is not necessarily in tune with when they have to get up to work for work and school and all of those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I'm not referred to as an owl in the house. I'm referred to as a bear. You don't poke the bear in the morning.
2: (laughs) Is that because (laughs) you're cranky when you wake up in the
1: morning? That's exactly why. It's one of those things. I think people listening, and just to even unpack the discussion you've just had, I'm overwhelmed in a positive way on on what you've already shared with us. I think there's many people listening, autistic people and potentially parents of autistic kids, who maybe felt alone or one out and now realize, oh my goodness, this is something that I can relate to that's very common and there's nothing you said that I can't relate to or agree with in one way or another. And it just shows, these are the things people don't think about when they think about autism or or being autistic and this is such a big thing sleep is super important and everything you've said is exactly my experience the idea of taking time to go to sleep the anxiety I, i suffer from anxiety not to mention my mind my mind is constantly going it's very hard to turn it off i always wake up feeling unrested these are a few of the kind of impacts but i guess you've done quite a lot of research certainly as he talks about on age groups children, adolescents, and you and you've obviously had a, a great body of research to read and digest. What are the main impacts on autistic people with regards to poor sleep? Is it different to neurotypical people?
2: The evidence suggests it probably isn't. I think one of the problems is that poor sleep is, is a symptom of anxiety and it's a symptom of depression, and there's been a sort of background idea out there well, you know, of course, they've got sleep problems because they've got anxiety or or they're depressed and and so on and so forth. Or with kids, small children, I used to meet the statement of, well, lots of little young children have poor sleep. So I I think there wasn't a recognition until more recent times how debilitating poor sleep could be. But we know that for our own work and work of other people, that poor sleep in autistic children is related to worse behaviour the next day. And it's related to worse behaviour in non-autistic children too the next day. Any parent knows that if their child hasn't slept well, their child's behaviour is not very good. And if your behaviour is not very good and your learning's already compromised in some ways because you're autistic, this cannot be good for your learning. There hasn't been a lot done on learning and memory and the impacts on learning and memory in, in autism for poor sleep. There's a much bigger literature in the non-autistic populations, particularly in adults, but we do know that poor sleep is associated with learning and memory. For example, very recent study from the United States where they looked at the relationships between working memory and learning problems and sleep problems in autistic adolescents, and they found that um, Autistic adolescents with elevated sleep problems were more likely. That was related to having poorer working memory and having learning problems, which is the kind of thing that's been reported in in non-autistic people too. Poor emotion regulation. I know if I've had a terrible night's sleep and something goes wrong the next day, I'm much more likely to get angry about it or burst into tears about it or or whatever, and the same thing. And, of course, there's that that strong association that we see in the literature, in the non-autistic literature, and that it is appearing in in the autistic literature between mental health problems and poor sleep. For example, in the non-autistic literature, we now know that if you treat poor sleep in someone who's got sleep problems and depression, the depression improves. So treating poor sleep as well as the depression has a tendency to better outcomes for depression than if you just ignore the poor sleep. So I think we're seeing the same kinds of things. Attention problems the next day is another thing. You know, if you've not slept very well, it's hard to keep your mind on something and attend. These are all things that affect our ability to function next day, whatever age we are, and put us at risk for mental health difficulties, particularly for depression. And also, this has not been done in autistic people, to the best of my knowledge, but in, in non-autistic people, poor sleep associated with elevated suicide risk and we know that that's elevated in autism as well. So I think we can say that what the research is starting to tell us is to lead us to expect that we're going to find similar associations and their negative consequences. Mm. Uh, similar associations to what we find in, in non-autistic groups and these are negative and we need to be doing something about it.
1: Yeah, and I, I think as you, you actually pointed out when you talked about all the different impacts that's experienced by really every member of the, of the community and you also pointed out that it could clearly have a bigger impact on an autistic person and I think these are the kind of observations that are really important to understand. For example, if you start at the start line of education, with less executive function, less working memory, you know, less ability to regulate uh, your sensory issues. And then before the gun goes off to start the race, you have less sleep than you should have. Well, then already you're pulled back even further from the starting line. There's, there's a much bigger gap between absolutely. you
2: absolutely and the rest of so the field it's absolutely so it's a it's really important for everyone but it's particularly important for autistic people because in many of these areas as you say they're starting they're starting behind they've got to catch up anyway and now they're being they're being pulled back by the fact that they're They've had a bad night's sleep and there's a really nice study where they observed autistic children, I think they were with an intellectual disability, and looked at impacts on behaviour and poor sleep over a long period of time and they found some really significant associations between the poor sleep and the behavioural issues that the children had, which affects their, their, their learning and so on. Poor sleep's not good for anyone and it's particularly debilitating for autistic people and they're particularly more prone to poor sleep on average than non-autistic people
1: are. You mentioned briefly earlier, I just want to, I guess, unpack this a little bit more with regards to to lifespan. You mentioned that there's there's little to no data when it reaches that age in the 60s or so. And I guess that's, yep. from my point of view, that may well be because, take me, for example, diagnosed in adulthood, part of the lost generation, lost meaning I wasn't the stereotypical diagnosis when I should have been diagnosed. Yep. You've got to wait for me to age. I, I, I guess because this whole generation <laughs> yeah. are coming through. Thirties, forties, fifties is where it's effectively yeah. at. I'd love to talk a bit about the time frames, the lifespans, the stages of life. So you're born, you're a child, you're an adolescent, adult, and you age and you grow. There may be a myth or a misconception that maybe it's a a thing you can grow out of that gets easier. I know it isn't because I still struggle, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on those different parts of the lifespan. Is it better? Is it worse in certain phases or is it just a lifelong struggle?
2: It can be a lifelong struggle for some people. It's a bit hard to know, but some people might go in and out of phases of poor sleep and we do know, and I've had, I distinctly remember a, an autistic gentleman that I met who would have been in his 50s at the time. He said to me, I don't have, I've never had sleep problems and I never feel particularly anxious. There is a proportion of autistic people who don't seem to be badly affected by poor sleep. I don't think you outgrow it. I think it probably presents differently in young children because often it presents as behavioural difficulties around bedtime difficulties getting children to sleep, which we also see in non-autistic children. But what what struck me was, if I go all the way back to my PhD, is I asked parents to describe what the sleep problem was and to rate how bad it was. And the autistic parents and the parents of the non-autistic children kind of rated their kids' sleep problems equally badly. But then when you looked at what they wrote, what they wrote was quite different. And qualitatively what the autistic parents were dealing with with their children seemed to me to be more severe than what the parents of the non-autistic children were um, dealing with so they were dealing with children who were getting up in the middle of the night turning the lights on going around the house coming out of bed all the time it was just kind of qualitatively different because sleep problems again are quite common in young children under five or six, regardless of whether they've got autism, at least 30% of them still not as high as autistic children, but at least 30% of them will have poor sleep. And sleep school is very popular with mothers of babies. I bet. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So in childhood, often it's behaviours around bedtime and things that happen when the child wakes up during the night. And sometimes adults with an intellectual disability or adolescents, I can remember parents writing things about similar kinds of things where intellectual disability was more severe. But as autistic people get older, the things that they talk about are what you were talking about, they mentioned things like their mind racing, their heart racing, anxiety. So it's like they can't calm things down and, and get things to relax. I think the other thing we have to remember too, is if an autistic child or an autistic adult has a sleep problem, it is probably worth getting it checked out because there are medical sleep problems that autistic children and adults can have that cause poor sleep, just like anybody else. So for example, significant snoring, sleep apnea, Restless legs, iron deficiency can cause um, restless sleep. So the iron deficiency in children and, and so on. So if you've got consistent sleep difficulties, it's always worthwhile trying to rule out that there's not some medical contribution to what's happening for you. I'm put in mind of a friend of mine who's a sleep researcher in the US whose child, this was a number of years ago had sleep problems and she put in her best psychological (laughs) behavioural interventions with her non-autistic child to to no avail. And she went to see someone and the child had restless legs that had to be treated medically. And when that was treated, the sleep problems are largely resolved for that particular child. So we mustn't forget that even though autistic people are more prone to these kinds of sleep difficulties, they can also have these other issues that can exacerbate or be the cause of this poor sleep, just like in um, non-autistic population.
1: And I completely agree. And from my point of view, I've had the sleep apnea test with the 700 cords and I've had the sleep studies. I've done all that. Uh, So I'm all clear.
2: Yeah. And, And for some people, you know, they might find out that that's really contributing to their problem. And for others, well, no, that's not the answer.
1: Exactly. Now we've talked about the impacts obviously of poor sleep and they clearly can impact anyone. And I guess there's the momentum it builds and the snowball effect for autistic people but the benefits of a good sleep routine what are the key benefits for a good sleep routine for an autistic person
2: i think that a good sleep routine helps prepare us for bed and hopefully will help that relaxing and calming some autistic people like to be on their computers and things at night and their phones and so on that really is a sleep no-no that should be avoided if possible One of the other things that's thought that electronic devices close to the face at night, if you do have them, you should turn the screens onto the softer, redder light, night light, because the blue in in a screen they think can affect melatonin because melatonin which rises at nighttime and helps make you sleepy, is suppressed by blue light. So if you must use a screen at night, make sure that you adjust it to the nighttime light on the screen. But generally screens shouldn't be used at night and trying to find things that are relaxing and calming for you to do, but not to let the routine become rigid and and control you too, I think is important because sometimes we can get very attached to our routines. So if something Happens that you can't quite follow it, try to sort of have some calming thoughts about it and understand to yourself that it'll be okay, that I can go back to my normal thing tomorrow night. I think routines are very important. Having a consistent time when we start to get ready for bed and go to bed and turn the lights out for sleep and having a consistent wake time. And if we've had a bad night's sleep, I think it's less helpful to sleep in for hours. If you want to sleep in for a short period of time, yes, but it's much better to get up and it'll probably help you fall asleep easier the next night because what governs our sleeping sleeping and waking is our 24-hour sleep-wake rhythm but also what we call a homeostatic process which is a build-up of sleep pressure which relates to how long we've been awake so how long it was since we were last asleep so if you have a bad night's sleep and you sleep in and to make up for it then you're not going to be tired necessarily at appropriate time that night to go to sleep. But if you get up, then the sleep pressure is going to build up more and you might fall asleep more easily the next night. So sleeping in for hours is not necessarily a good move. So having consistent wake times, consistent bed times, realising that sometimes you won't be able to do that because you've got to go to grandma's birthday party or, or you know some family thing you've got to go to or uh, something like that. Not letting that sort of say, oh, but I'm supposed to be in bed at, 10, you know, and it will upset my sleep routine. Don't worry about that. That happens to everybody. Just try and still get up at the same time the next morning and that sleep pressure will hopefully help you fall asleep the following night. Understanding your own, own circadian rhythms too, when it is you feel most tired. I don't know whether you've ever noticed, Orion, that there's a time at night when you sort of go through this phase where you feel quite wide awake and then after that you start to feel sleepy later in the evening knowing when you start to feel sleepy later in the evening, that's probably your best bedtime, best time to go to sleep. Have you had that feeling?
1: What usually happens is I'll reach a point in the nighttime, which is usually the same. It's usually about 10, 10.30 time where I'll go, I'm tired. I've got to go to bed. And I'll just announce, I'll turn the TV off and announce to my wife.
2: That's the the right time. But there was probably a time a couple of hours before that when you probably felt quite alert. So I tend to, I go to bed a bit later than you, so I tend to feel quite alert sort of around 9, 10 at night, and then all of a sudden around 11, it's like, oh, jeez, I'm tired now. I've got to go and get ready for bed.
1: That's a my experience. So if I think
2: I'm going to catch up by, on my sleep by going to bed earlier than that time when I feel really, when I'm starting to feel tired, for you about 10, for me about 11, that can often be counterproductive because we're not actually ready for sleep then, and we can actually lay in bed, sort of trying to sleep and not being able to sleep, and, and then then that gets our mind going. And because what you're doing is you're going to bed at the wrong time in your circadian rhythm. So you're going to bed at a time when you're fairly alert. Another time when when we're not quite so alert during the day is sort of sometime in the afternoon, what people call a post lunch dip, and that's when people often feel like they need a little nap uh, I don't know whether you've ever experienced that but um, I, you know, experience that, are, I, I experience
1: that I experience that almost every hour of the day sometimes Sometimes, but the, <laughs> but the question is should you should you act on it
2: well you can act on a power nap during the day but you should not let it exceed about 20 minutes or so okay. and it can be quite refreshing
1: yes it could also be frightening to wake the bear after 20 minutes but that's okay we'll, we'll work through it uh, <laughs> now Amanda
2: sleep routines are important for every uh, for everybody I, I totally Um, The main thing is not to let them become sort of rigid. I have to remember life throws curveballs at you and sometimes a sleep routine for one or two nights might get out of whack and that's okay.
1: Clearly as an autistic adult, my challenges are if there is major routine changes to what I expected, that will affect my want to go to sleep I don't mean in a tantrum way, but like I just am unable because what was supposed to happen didn't happen. But I I, I actually want to switch that from me. I want to finish our conversation helping some parents listening, whether they're autistic or not, that have autistic children. We've we've clearly talked about the key things, but if we can just wrap it up in a bow. For the parents listening, what are the key things, structures, routines, changes, the, the key improvements the parents can make today? For their autistic child to have better quality sleep
2: i think pretty much what we've been talking about for autistic people in general is to try and understand their child's natural sleep wake cycle to put their child to bed when they believe their child's sleepy it can be very tempting to want to put your child to bed a bit earlier because it's all been a bit of a stressful day and so on to try and watch. With comfort items, many children become attached to comfort items, but autistic children in particular. So if a child's going to have a comfort item and you feel that the child needs the comfort item to go to sleep, try not to let them go to sleep with things like bottles and and dummies and so on. Because if a child loses those during the night, whether they're autistic or they're non-autistic, they wake up, they can't find them. And then they'll start crying and carrying on and wanting that comfort item because they can't find it. A lot of autistic children, more so than non-autistic children, like to have their parent in their room while they go to sleep or even in the bed. And so there are some gentle methods you can do to wean them off having the parent in the room. And instead of lying in the bed, you sit in a chair beside the bed. Yep. When it gets used to falling asleep with you in the chair beside the bed, you move the chair a little bit away. And then you move it a bit further away until you're in the doorway of the bedroom and so on. Another one that my colleagues in the United States use quite often for some autistic children that works quite well is to give them something called a bedtime pass. And again, parents would need someone to help them with this. When we're doing behavioural interventions to help children fall asleep, we have to be careful how we do them because if we don't do them the right way, we can actually make the problem worse instead of better. But they get this bedtime pass so it has got a pretty picture on it. And on the back, there's some sort of reward and so they put it under their pillow it gives them pass to get out of bed and just ask for something or, or be disturbing in some way after they've been put to bed but if they don't use it they get a little reward the next morning or you might have a star chart and after they've got five days when they haven't used the bedtime pass they might get a little reward or something like that so you can do those sorts of things and it's quite a bit of evidence that doing these kinds of things with sort of preschool and primary school children who are autistic can really help them learn to settle to sleep quite a bit better and not to get up and disturb people look melatonin can be useful but you you must go to a a pediatrician to speak to them about that and melatonin seems to be good at helping children go to sleep and there's now been some studies that suggest at least over a two-year period it's not harmful we're not quite sure how it works because melatonin as well as being associated with our circadian rhythms also is an anxiolytic so it has an anti-anxiety effect so it could be calming down anxiety at bedtime so we're not quite sure but we do know that can be successful with children but it must always be administered by a pediatrician or your GP it should never be purchased on the internet or anything like that we do know that what we can get on the internet overseas and, for example, what they sell on shelves and things in pharmacies and supermarkets in America, the melatonin that is in them is is highly variable and you really wouldn't know what you were giving your children. So you should never never do that if you think that that might be helpful, if that's something you should talk to your paediatrician about yeah. um, or, or your GP. But my general advice, Ryan, is good sleep routines, but don't become rigid about them. Realise sometimes things will go wrong and that's okay. You can go back the next day and no screens or anything in bedrooms. Check out there's no other reason why you might have a sleep problem like we were talking about. If you're still having problems, I'd suggest talking to your paediatrician or your GP about going to a sleep psychologist who can help you with some behavioural interventions and if they're not working, then you the drug of choice seems to be melatonin but should always be taken under the supervision of a medical practitioner.
1: What a delightful conversation. I've really enjoyed it.
2: Well, thank you. I, I've enjoyed talking with you.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Amanda. I really do appreciate your time.
2: No worries. Thanks, Orion.
1: My guest on this episode was Professor and founding member at the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre at La Trobe University, Amanda Ridgedale.
0: A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly.
1: Once again, thank you so much for listening to A Different Brilliant. I do appreciate it. Now, if the episode has resonated with you, please share it with your friends and family so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, well, you can like the Aspect page on Facebook or you can check out my website and send me a message, orionkelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy, Dr. Tom Tutton and Julie Fenwick. I'm Orion Kelly.
0: Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. An Aspect podcast on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.